Okay, so who remembers where we're up to? What book we're we studying? Come on, like, let's see if you're away. Colossians. Okay, and what did we talk about last week? Putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. So it's kind of appropriate, I thought, because we um, had uh, the, um, the clothes swap for Grow Baby this week, that I'd talk about the same theme. I'd talk about putting on and putting off, because uh, in, in, the, in Colossians, Paul actually talks about some really practical examples of how we're meant to do this. And so if you find Colossians chapter 3, you won't necessarily be able to follow the words exactly that I'm going to read, because this morning I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. So if you've got one of those multiple versions on your phone, you might want to look at the Amplified. Uh, chapter 3, and I'm starting at verse 15. If you haven't got that, don't worry, it'll come up on screen, and then you can open your Bibles and compare it just to make sure that I'm sound and I'm preaching good stuff and not lying to you. It's really important you check out pastors that they're not fibbing to you, because you know, you don't know when people are making stuff up or, or quoting stuff out of context. So you want to know it's in context, don't you? Right, so let me start with a story. It's a story I think that everybody knows from about the age of three or four. It's the story of the emperor's new clothes. Do you remember the emperor's new clothes? That, that some people come along and say, like, you're not, you're not looking good enough. We want to give you some new clothes. And uh, they, 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 they tell him that they're going to design all these clothes for him and all the rest of it, but they don't actually. What they do is convince him he's got new clothes on, and he then goes out to all the crowds who are awaiting his presentation, and he's got no clothes on. And people see it, and they start laughing at him. But he's so deceived, he thinks he's got his new clothes on. So I'm going to talk about the emperor's new clothes this morning. <laughs> And here's the point. The emperor's new clothes have to look like something or they're not there at all. The emperor's new clothes have to look like something or they're not there at all. So go with me to chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, this, I'm, I'm, the first verse, actually, I'm not going to read from the Amplified, but here we go. Let the peace of God, to which also you are called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want you to see a really important word there. The really important word is this, let. Let. You're in charge and in control of this. Only you can do this. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. He doesn't force anything. He doesn't make anything happen. You have to let it happen. Now, the other thing I want you to see from that is this isn't a rule. It's not a command. It's something that we do because we can. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And sin brought destruction in our life, didn't it? Messes, all the stuff that we've lived through, all our past brought a mess. Some of it was good, but some of it was bad, and we'd rather we got rid of the bad. And so when we were born again, the Holy Spirit came to live in us and empowered us to walk free. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work. 
It's not following a set of rules. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And one of the biggest ways we can tell if the Holy Spirit's in something is if we've got a peace about it. That's what he's saying here. Uh, some translations say, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Um, when it says rule, that word isn't like dominate. It's not that sort of ruling. So the Holy Spirit's not going to like come and stomp on you every time you, you step out of line. What that word rule is, is the same way as you see at Wimbledon when the umpire rules whether it's in or out. It's, it's kind of, what, he, what he's saying is, let the Spirit of God, let the peace of God umpire in your heart. And that's a really good thing because it enables us to process all the decisions and, and all the, the, the problems we have in life, take it to God and wait until we have peace about which direction to go. You'll, you'll hear some people use the, the opposite word of that. Have you ever heard anybody say, I had a check about it? Yeah, that's not the check that you write out in a checkbook. It's like, I, I'm, I'm just not, I just don't feel I should go with that. What, what are these checks? What's this peace? It's the operation of the Holy Spirit in your heart. The Holy Spirit, when, when, when there's something that he wants you to go ahead with, he, he's, he's pointing you in a particular direction, there's a peace that comes with it. You just feel that's the right thing to do. In your, in your knowing about your knower in your knower, you just know it's the right thing to do. And you're at peace. Even though it might not look like a sensible thing to do, even though it might not look like the obvious thing to do, even though it might to you not look like it's going to work, you've got a peace about it. And at the same time, when the Holy Spirit's around and you want to launch ahead following all your own ideas, following all your own plans, and God's going, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I can tell you now it's going to, not going to work. What you get is this sense from the Holy Spirit inside that you've got to check. And so what Paul's talking about is if you are going to live with your new clothes, if you're going to live as a new man, you need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing in every aspect of your life. You need to get in tune with him and listen to him. And that's, I think that's a real challenge for us. I think that's a real challenge for, for believers because um, most of the time we get busy, busy, busy in our heads and we don't involve the Holy Spirit. We don't even like stop and go, okay, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to respond to that that's going on at work? How do you want me to, to respond to what just happened? And, and we don't. We just tend to fire off and... Yeah and process it ourselves. And what Paul's saying is, uh, this, this new life you have as believers, you, you, you don't live it like that. Because what you'll find is that you're not putting on your new clothes at all, you're just wandering around in your flesh. And you don't want to wander around in your flesh because it's embarrassing, just like it was for the emperor. It's embarrassing to wander around in your flesh and say you're a new covenant believer. Because you don't have to. You don't have to live like you did. So, here's, here's a little saying. In every aspect of every relationship, if you follow peace, you'll have peace. In every aspect of every relationship, if you'll follow peace, you'll have peace. That doesn't mean that stuff's not going on in those relationships. It doesn't mean that there aren't any problems. But it does mean that you're at peace, that you're walking it out right with God. 
and that you're doing all that you can to bring about peace in those relationships and in those situations. So we go on to verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to wear these new clothes, it's actually pretty simple to put them on. And the way we put them on is to live our daily life based on the word of God. So sometimes it's difficult to know when you, you feel a prompting inside or a peace inside or a check inside, what, what, what's going on? And Paul said, well, it's actually really simple to work this out. What you, what you do is you make sure that you're dwelling in the word. And if you're dwelling in the word, if, you, if you're receiving the word, if you, you're thinking about the word, then that word will work alongside the Holy Spirit so you have a certainty it's God and not you. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, basically, it's like this. With the word of God, you need to think about it and you need to meditate on it. Now, how many, when you, when I, whenever I hear a Christian use the word meditate, a lot of people go, well, what's that mean? And, and they kind of misunderstand it. They come up with, uh, well, what it means is this. Is that, you know, it's like them Buddhist guys. They go, you know, they do the, the funny cross-legged things and strange things that you can only do if you've done yoga for 10 years. And, and then they, they shut their eyes and go, um, um. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Thankfully, you don't have to contort yourself up cross your legs and make strange noises to meditate on the word of God. When, when this word meditate means to mull over or to mutter to yourself. Now, here's what I can say. I know a lot of people who mutter to themselves. They're not all sane, but it is a good thing. It's a good thing to mutter to yourself, to, to talk it over, to mull over what you've seen in the word of God. Like, it would be a good thing if you spent the rest of today just mulling over one or two things from this morning. Because, you know, I don't do this for the good of my health. I, I, I've, I've studied all this. I've got this. So I'm doing it for your health. So it'd be a good thing if it had a bit of benefit once I've sat down, wouldn't it? So that's what about meditation is. You think it over, you mull it over, you talk to each other about it. You think about it, you, you go like, how does that work in what I'm doing right now? How does that work in, how would that have worked in what went wrong there? How would it have, what difference would it have made to the way I dealt with that? And, and think about it and apply it. Um, it's kind of like the difference, and my mum used to tell me, she used to, well, she used to tell me off about this, is... Strangely, us, us boys, we have a tendency to gulp our food down. Um, you, you can tell the boys, they're the ones with the empty plates while the girls are still talking around the table. And when, when we gulp our food down, my mum used to tell me off. She said, you used to say, yeah, you, you, you're not going out to play football. You have to need to sit there, eat your food properly and chew it. <laughs> You've got teeth, so chew it with your teeth. <laughs> 
And she used to come out with things like this. And it's like that with the word of God. To get the best nutrition out of it and not get indigestion, you need to chew it. You need to mull it over. You need to give it, give it a good chomp and get all the goodness and all the taste out of it. And that's, that's what we do with the word. You see, how many of you um, have got Bibles with like red writing in when Jesus talks? And, and you've got... You, we, I, I, I see when I go to conferences, you sit next to people and they've got, Dennis is a, a prime example, they've got sticky tabs, they've got multicolours. I mean, that, that, is, that is a work of art, Dennis. No. That, there's, a, there's a lifetime of love gone into those sticky tabs, isn't there? Yeah, about 10 years. Here's the thing, and this, I, I know this doesn't apply to Dennis, which is why I'm picking on him. But if all you ever do is highlight things in your Bible because you came across them because when somebody was talking, if all you ever do is underline things, it won't have any effect. It will have zero effect, except your Bible won't last as long as it would have done otherwise. <laughs> That's the only effect it will have, and it'll cost you money because you'll have to go and buy a new Bible in which you'll underline things and highlight things again and still ignore them. See... It doesn't help. It only helps if you do something with what you've underlined. If it draws your attention to it, so you go back to it. And that, that's kind of what, what Paul's saying. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not let the word of Christ dwell in you momentarily. Dwell in you richly. And, and there isn't any substitute for this. The only way your life will change is if the way you think changes. And the only way the way you think changes is by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because there's too much stuff coming at you, too many ideas, too many suggestions, too many great um, initiatives coming at you for you to actually get the good stuff if you don't let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You get it in, you chew it over, you chomp it around, and then you'll get the goodness out of it. And your thinking will change, and your life will change. Amen? Here's the thing about the emperor's new clothes. Here's the thing about putting on the new man that Paul was talking about. Putting on the new clothes. Laying aside the old and putting on the new. Here's the thing. If you cannot see your new clothes and other people can't see your new clothes, it should be a warning to you that they're not there. If you can't see your new clothes, it should be a warning to you that your flesh is showing. Because there's only two things that are going to come out. There's spirit, there's your new man, or there's flesh. And if all, if you cannot see your new clothes, your flesh is showing. And you don't want that. You wouldn't walk down the main, well, I'm kind of hoping you wouldn't walk down the main street, market, across Market Square in Cranbridge with no clothes on. And yet, a lot of the time, we, what Paul is saying is if we're not aware of this, if we don't read the warning signs, we can end up walking around saying, here I am, I'm a, I'm a new Christian, I've got this new salvation, I'm, a, I'm living under a new covenant, and you're naked. Because the world is seeing your flesh. 
And you might not realise it like the emperor did. So that's why Paul's setting these things out. And what he's saying is, the way you can tell if you've got your new clothes on is how it works out in your relationships. So he's saying, if there's no new clothes showing in those relationships, it's a warning that your flesh is there. That you've not put the clothes on. And that's, that's what he's saying. So what he's going to do in the rest of his chapter is go through a load of relationships. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to be a new covenant believer. This is how you can tell that your flesh isn't showing, or it is showing. So let's go to verse 17. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and in dependence on him. Dependence upon his person, giving praise to God the Father through him. Here's my question for you. If everything you did in your day-to-day -day life, you did in the name of Jesus, what difference would it make? What would it look like? What would, yeah, what it would look like Jesus. But it would make a big difference to us, wouldn't it? If, if we had this consciousness that whatever we did, we did in the name of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He said, have this consciousness that as you go about your daily life, the things that you're doing, you want to do in the name of Jesus. In other words, you're his representative. You're carrying the uniform of the kingdom. And he's saying it should make a difference. It should look like something. If it doesn't look like anything to the outside world, you're in the flesh. You're naked of the new man. So it needs to look like something. So, you know, things, simple things like, well, I'll just watch this movie in the name of Jesus. What difference would it make to what you're watching? I'll just, uh, well, this conversation I'm about to have because I'm angry with that person, I'll have it in the name of Jesus. What difference would it make to the outcome? This relationship, which it's all their fault, it's gone wrong. What would difference would it make if I did it in the name of Jesus? And that, that's what Paul's saying. He says, keep asking yourself this question because you'll be able to tell whether you've put your new clothes on or you're in the flesh. Is what, you see, is what the world is seeing the same as it would be seeing if it was seeing Jesus? The way you approach your relationships, the way you approach your problems, the way you approach your crises. What did Jesus do? In crises, in storms, he goes asleep. He falls asleep in the back of the book because he's confident that his father's got it in hand. Now, what he's saying is you can't do this in your own efforts. That's why you can't do this in the flesh. You have to do it in dependence on God. So the first thing he's saying about this, this new set of clothes is it should be a warning to you if there's stuff in your life that you would look at and you go, I can't really say that measures up to the name of Jesus. And he's saying, if you go around with that consciousness, more and more, it'll change your life. It'll affect your relationships. And the way you do this is to trust in God and be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Be dependent on the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom, to give you counsel, to give you encouragement, to give you strength, to give you clarity, to give you peace, or to give you a check. 
He's saying this is how we're meant to live our lives as believers. We, as believers, we are meant to have supernatural lives. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're supernatural. And now turn to them again and say, I always knew you weren't human. We're not. We're not human. We're supernatural beings. And what Paul is saying is you you need to start putting on your new clothes and living like it. Because if you don't, the only option you've got is wandering around on your flesh. And you're saying one thing, believing one thing about yourself, but in reality the world is seeing something totally different. The world is seeing your flesh. If you can't see your new clothes, it should be a warning to you that the flesh is showing. So when we look at things and we look at it, would, would I be able to say I'm doing that in the name of Jesus? It should be a warning if the answer is no, that we're in our flesh. It's a way of telling whether we're walking according to the spirit or we're walking according to the flesh. Are we getting this? And all these things he's, he's, he's saying, they're just applications of this same principle, that if you can't see your new clothes, it should be a warning that you're in your flesh. So here we go. Here's the biggie. Here's what Paul says. Here's here's the biggie. It's kind of easy to do these things when you're at church. It's kind of easy to do these things when you're trying to impress your friends. But the best place you're going to be able to tell whether you're doing these things or not is with your family at home. And so Paul being Paul hits you like with like full, full on hardest one, hardest example first. What happens in your family? And here's the verse that I, I guess, ladies, you, you love this verse, don't you? Anybody know what verse comes next? What does Colossians 3.18 say? It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's kind of a like, uh, oof, straight on, isn't it? Now, I want you to understand some things here. You cannot just pick out that verse without everything else that goes around it. And that verse is used to beat women up. It's used to justify stuff that isn't right behaviour for men. There's right behaviour for men, there's wrong behaviour for men. There's right behaviour from women, there's wrong behaviour from women. But that verse is used to justify the extremes of both. And it isn't actually what it says. What Paul is saying is that there are things that are reserved for women. There are things that are reserved for men. You are not the same. However, the reality is this, that You are equals in partnership with bringing about the kingdom on this earth. And he's saying, how does that work if you're not in the flesh? So I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit for you, because if I just gloss over that verse, the the ladies will feel aggrieved and the men will feel relieved. And and, and you kind of know what's coming. So let's go on to verse 18. Looking at 18 and 19. Now, firstly, I just want to point this out. So, wives, submit at yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Right there, you can see this is not a blanket submission. 
It's only a submission so far as he's right before the Lord. So far as he's right in his name. So far as he's right for you to live out your new uh, spirit-led life. And he's saying, in your new spirit-led life, you want to live out in right relationship between husband and wife. That's the big toughie. That's the big hard one to live. You see, Cheryl knows more about me than anybody else in this room. And she's not going to tell you. <laughs> Hopefully. But she knows more about me than any of you. She can tell when I'm being real and when I'm being false. She can tell when, when what I'm doing doesn't measure up to what I've said. And Cheryl being Cheryl will let me know in no uncertain terms. And I know Cheryl better than anybody else. And so this is, the, this is where it's really hard to live a false life. To go around thinking you've got your best outfit on when really you've got nothing on. And, and so it, it's best to see that between husband and wife. And so here's, I just want to expand that in a little bit more because it raises all sorts of questions. And here's the beauty of preaching through a book, as I do like once or twice a year, is you can't avoid difficult verses. But what you can do is explain them when you get to them. And this is kind of a difficult verse because it's a really misinterpreted verse. Let me start with a general thing. This is absolutely nothing to do with ministry in church. You can't apply this to say women shouldn't be involved in ministry. As you know, we strongly believe in involving and the, uh, uh, women in ministry and women in leadership. And if any of you want to know why that is, we have a four-part series from our Bible school that will tell you why we think that is and why we think that is the right position. Now, there is an order that God has appointed. And a wife's attitude and behaviour towards her husband should reflect that. As should a husband's behaviour and attitude towards his wife. And the husband's got a complementary role that is described in terms of love, honour, tenderness, self-sacrifice and consideration so guys before we start quoting this verse as justifying what we want to do we first need to ask am i behaving in a way that demonstrates love tenderness kindness um, self-sacrifice and consideration towards my wife paul puts it elsewhere he says you've got to love your wife like christ loved the church Men have a much harder question to answer around these verses than women do. Because if a man loves his, his wife like Christ loved the church, that means you're, you will lay down your life for your wife and you will sacrifice for your wife and you will do everything you can to protect her and save her. And so it's kind of tougher for men than it is for women. But somehow in our, in our like, religious traditions and our chauvinistic societies over the year, we, we've kind of messed this up. And we've used it to justify a lot of wrong behaviour. I want to just mention something here, that wives are not, you will not find this word here. You will not find the word obey. 
which is kind of interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say, wives, obey your husband. It says, wives, submit to your husband. And that's a really important distinction. You might go on like, so what's the difference? I'm going to show you. Because it's, it's just massive. Because what happens is when we read that word submit, we translate it obey. Submission and obedience are not the same things. Even in English, they're not the same things. But in Greek, they were two very different things. And so they're not the same thing. Obedience is not the same as submission. That verb, that word translated, okay, so we're going to get technical. Because if I'm going to explain this to you, I need to get technical. So just go, Mark studied this, we paid him to study it, we're getting the benefit now. This is how it works. So the word submit is a translation of the word hupatasso. Just try saying that quickly, hupatasso, hupatasso. It's kind of a cute little word, isn't it? Hupatasso, I, li I like it, hupatasso. And in Greek... They have three tenses that, that that word could be in. In English, we have two tenses, effectively, uh, for verbs. We have an active and we have a passive. So our active is, I am teaching. Our passive is, you are being taught. Yeah? So that's, that's how we, we deal with verbs. In Greek, they have a different tense, uh, it's called the middle voice. And the middle voice means this. What is happening to you is being done because it's voluntary on your part. See, I can teach because I'm teaching, and you have to listen because you're being taught. In Greek, hupitasso means you are voluntarily there and listening. You are voluntarily being taught. And you can walk away at any point. Because what you're doing is voluntary. You come with a heart of, I want to do this. I want to do this. And so, when Paul's using hupitasso here, he's, what he's saying is, ladies, this is voluntary. This is not forced. This is not a rule. This is, I'm asking you to voluntarily do this. I'm asking you to have this attitude voluntarily. Because you want it. Because it's good. It'll make things work. So, here's the difference. When Paul says, Hupatasso, he's talking about a gift that you give to your husband, not a rule that you're submitting to. That's massive. Really important. That changes a lot of attitudes that we have. So, when, when you translate this word hupitasso in that voluntary sense, which is what it is here, it means something very different from obedience. You girls should be cheering at this point. Especially married girls should be really cheering at this point. It means something really different from obedience, and I'm sure I'm going to get like really flack off all the guys at the end of this. Here's what it means. It means to give allegiance to, to tend to and care for, be supportive of, or be responsive to. So, if you put that back into that sentence, what it's saying is, ladies, 
in the equal task of sharing the gospel for mission, in the equal task of living out this life together, in the equal task of living out the kingdom, in the equal task of walking through your day-to-day lives, demonstrating the kingdom, showing that you've got the clothes of the new kingdom on and not your flesh, the ladies, what I'm asking you to do is voluntarily be supportive of, give allegiance to, tend for and care for, and be responsive to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And that's just massively different from the way we interpret things. You know, uh, the reason that it means those things, because you might say, oh, he's taking a bit of a big leap there, is this is, hubertasso is a, a term that they use in the military realm. And it was this idea that everybody in a, in a, in a troop or a squadron or whatever a contingent or a legion or whatever they applied at your time, everybody in that had the equal task of fighting for a victory. But everybody stood in a different place and had a different role because they were different people. And it's the, it's the equal task of sharing together with the aim of bringing about a successful mission. So what Paul is saying is this, this thing about, is for the purpose of bringing about mission. It's for the purpose of bringing about the kingdom and displaying the kingdom. It's not something that has been forced on somebody. And he's saying it's voluntary. It's part of living out your walk. It's not, it's not something that is forced or demanded. It's a gift that is given. So are you with me? Joyce Meyer puts it this, she said, uh, and Joyce Meyer is a scary lady, I, I, I do, do agree, but she puts it like this, she said that Eve was taken out of the side of Adam, not out of his feet, so he didn't get the idea he could walk all over her. I'll read that again. Eve was taken out of Adam's side, not his feet, so he wasn't intended to walk all over her, but for her to be at his side. Now, Ladies, don't take this to an extreme either. I just say that because there's some worried looking fellas down here. Don't take that to an extreme either. But men, don't you wimp out of what is your role. Part of the problem we have in the body of Christ these days is that men have grown up weak. God is as interested in strong men as he is in strong women. And somehow, in redressing the balance, we've ended up with weaker men. Men who, who aren't out there, on the front line, doing their job, fighting for the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom, speaking out with the voice of God in their workplaces and in the situations they find themselves. We can't wimp out. None of us can wimp out. We can't afford this in this society and in this nation and this, this, this world we've got ourselves into by wimping out. You know, people go, oh, well, you know, let's pay for all the countries where Christians are persecuted because, you know, they can go to jail and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and then we read stories like the underground church is thriving. Why is that? Here's the difference. They're persecuted, they've recognised it, they've done something about it. They're still speaking for Christ. 
in this country, we're persecuted. The, the enemy's trying to shut us up. He says we can't pay for people in his workplaces. He says you can't share the gospel in your workplaces. So we have shut up instead of speaking out. And because of that, we go, well, why is there all this agenda? Why are all these minority groups getting all these rights? Why is the world so bad? Can't people see it's like this? Well, it's our fault because we've been silent. And we've not... The reason we don't feel persecution is we've given in to persecution. You don't feel persecution if you go along with it. And we have to change. Because we're on a mission. And men, we can't wimp out anymore. And ladies, you're there with us. We can't wimp out anymore. Because otherwise... We're going to be still there in five years, ten years' time saying, hasn't the world become a bad place? And all this stuff, and the stuff that our kids have to live with, and all these uh, agendas being forced on our kids by these minority groups. And, and we've sat there and done nothing, said nothing. We haven't taken our kids out of school. We haven't objected. We haven't protested. We haven't stood. And yet the minority groups stand, protest, complain, Stand for their rights all the time and they're winning. Why? Because we've given in to persecution. And we need to change. The reason we don't feel persecution is because we've gone along with it. So I'll come back to, to a, a much more difficult question on this one because it, it's kind of the question that always comes up when you talk about this is that if I'm supposed to do all this as a, as a woman voluntarily and, uh, you know, um, support my husband, love him, uh, give allegiance to him and all that, what if he's a bad husband? What if he abuses me? Is this a blanket for everyone? Do you just have to take whatever the husband throws at you? And some ladies find themselves in abusive relationships. And this verse is often used by Christians abusing their wives to keep them in those relationships. And that's not what Paul is saying. That is not submission. That is passivity. Submission and passivity are two different things. And God has not called a woman to be pushed around or abused. Or in this age of gender equality, he hasn't called a man to be pushed around and abused. Yeah. Either way, that's not what he's saying. There's a whole lot of difference from a woman having a difficult husband or a man having a difficult wife to a husband who abuses his wife or a wife who abuses her husband. There's a lot of difference between a difficult relationship and an abusive relationship. And... But at the same time, we have to learn, and what Paul's saying is you can't start a war over everything. You can't just fight and stand for what, you know, over everything. There has to be a way of deciding in a family how you're going to go about life. Because you're two different people. So you can't go to war over every tiny little issue, and some people do. That's not an abusive relationship. That's just a difficult one. And, you need, and Paul is saying you need to to learn from this that you need to put on your new clothes, they need to look like something, and you need to start getting along with each other better instead of fighting over everything. 
But he's not saying that's an excuse for abuse. Because it's like this, submission is a voluntary gift. He's saying it's voluntary. And in that verse 18, if you remember, he said, as it is fitting to the Lord. There are certain things that are not fitting to the Lord. You know, I've read about, and, and we've come across over the years, numerous relationships where the wife is a believer, the husband isn't, and he tries to stop her going to church. That's tries to stop her following her faith. That is not fitting to the Lord. God isn't telling you you have to submit to that. He's, not, he's saying, actually, I come first. You can't submit to someone who is trying to lead you into sinful practices because it's not fitting to the Lord. You withdraw your voluntary gift. You can't um, submit to something that tries to stop your relationship with God. God comes first. So you have to discern, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. So coming back to my original thing, the, the, your new clothes look like something. You have to tune in, listen to the voice of the Spirit to discern the difference between standing up against things that aren't the will of God and just being difficult and arguing about things because your flesh wants them. And you've got to learn to discern between the two. There's things that are the will of God, and they're less common, but you've got to learn when you stand. But most of the time, you've got to learn what is your flesh. And don't just be difficult for difficult sake. Start getting along with each other. Over and over again, I hear these words. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Big warning, you're nude, that's the flesh. When you hear those words come out of your mouth, you're not going to tell me what to do. Big warning, you've got no clothes on. You are nude. It's your flesh that is showing. Paul's, what, why Paul is telling them this, he's saying, you've got to spot the warning signs. Because the warning signs are there for you. He's saying... Read the ways of the spirit, read the ways of the flesh, and make sure you're clothing yourself with the spirit. So let's, let's wrap this up a bit with kind of the last example. I'm, I'm going to miss uh, verses 20 and 21, if you've got slides. So go on to the slides that start. Servants, in everything obey those who are your masters on earth, not only with external service as those who merely please people, but with sincerity of heart because of your fear of the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul that is put, that is, put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. Here's another big challenge. The next hardest place to work it out, apart from your family, is with your colleagues at work. And here's what Paul's saying. When you go to work, you've got to wear your new clothes. You need to go with the approach that when you go to work, 
You are going there not to earn money, but to please God. Yes, it's good that you earn money, but your principal purpose in going to work is to go with the attitude that you're going there to please God. So, when you walk in in the morning and you see that work colleague that you can't stand and who's been horrible to you and is, is, is putting you under all sorts of pressure, you don't immediately get angry, explode, be miserable all day and try and find ways of undermining them. Here's what you do. You go in with the attitude that I'm going in here to try and please God, not that person. And here's the thing. If you go in with an attitude of trying to please God, you'll do better than that person ever expected. A lot of us underperform and miss out on promotions and miss out on pay rises and miss out on all sorts of things because we go with an attitude into our workplace where we're going in in our flesh and we're showing the world our flesh. And if we went in with a different attitude and showed the world that we were walking in the spirit and we're here to please God, we'd find out a lot more promotions and pay rises and all the rest of it came. And our, our feedback would be a lot better. How many of you get like 360-degree feedback and performance reviews and all that sort of stuff? We'd find out they'd turn out a whole lot better. But instead, we don't go in with that attitude. And Paul said, this is a big test for you because he's even talking in the context of slaves. Not, not even paid people. He's talking in the context of slaves. We haven't, we, we're not in that situation. We're paid people. We're paid for what we do. And he said, and for us, he's, if, if slaves can do this, we can do it. If Paul said, slaves, you go in and you, everything you do, do it for the Lord, we can do that too. And we can do it better than that because we can do it with a, a lighter heart knowing that it's not required of us in the same way as it is of a slave. Like at the end of the day, we can unlock our chain from our desk or our workstation or wherever else. We can unlock ourselves for it. We can put a key in our cupboard, shut the cupboard and walk out the building. And we can walk out the building at the end of the day thinking everything I did today, I am confident I did it for the glory of God. Here's some things. We don't just do what is right at work when the boss is looking. We do what is right at work all the time. We stay off, I'll just translate this into modern language, we stay off the personal emails and the personal phone calls. We report our expenses accurately and if there is any doubt, we don't claim. That's doing everything for the Lord. We don't, if you work in a factory that still clocks on, you don't get somebody else to clock on for you because you're five minutes late. You just don't do it. And, you know, we, we come out with things. That I, I, was I was talking to somebody about this, uh, I guess, about a year ago. And the <laughs> their response to this is, well, they just don't pay me enough to do that. What's that got to do with it? What's that got to do with whether you're doing everything for the Lord? Here's the thing. We don't get to do what's wrong just because somebody else isn't doing what's right. We don't get to do what's wrong just because somebody else isn't doing what's right. 
And what's what in all these things? Wives, husbands, children. Because Paul's talked about children in this work. Uh, all those situations. Paul's talking about what atmosphere are we creating? What is the world seeing when he sees the church in the world? Sees the sees individual believers in in operation. And he keeps coming back to this. If you've got your new clothes on, they'll look like something. If they don't look like something, you're in the flesh. And it's a warning to get in the spirit. And in this, this whole passage, Paul's really talking about atmosphere, the atmosphere God wants us to live in. The atmosphere around the kingdom, the atmosphere around your life that will ultimately give you joy and peace. Because if you've got joy and peace, you're happy. And God wants you happy. So he's saying, if you, if you live this way, if your new clothes look like something, you'll find out as a result of this, you have joy and you have peace in your heart and therefore you'll be happy whatever is going on. And if you find yourself um, in this, this position where some days you're happy and everything's going great and then some, some things start going bad and you're not happy, that's a warning. And the warning is this, you're getting your happiness from your circumstances, not because you are walking in the Spirit. And to have real happiness, what you pursue is not a happiness that varies with the ups and downs of life, but a happiness that is rooted in peace and joy because you know you are walking in the Spirit and you've got your new clothes on. You know, I, 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 I recognise, you know, when um, we had any time when I was training and when we were in our career, you, you had to go to these... Uh, I used to hate them. I don't know why. It just wasn't me. You know these posh dinners that uh, everybody's meant to enjoy, but everybody's so worried about what they're going to look like and who they're going to be sat next to, and are they going to have to make conversation with somebody who's really important and can affect your career or affect your husband's career or affect your wife's career, and you're sat there and you're nervous, and and it's all and I hated it. But one thing that that happened is it meant you always put your best clothes on. You always put your best clothes on and that's what you showed to the world. And Paul's saying, put your best clothes on all the time because all the time, life is like that dinner. It's like that banquet. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what's coming. You don't know who you're going to be sat next to, but put your best clothes on because your best clothes will cover a lot of your failings. And... And when we put on Christ, when we put on our spirit, our best clothes cover a lot of our fleshly failings and our weaknesses and our deficiencies. And so we put on our best clothes. And here's what he says right at the end of this. If you'll do that, if you'll concentrate on putting on your best clothes, heed the warnings when they don't look like walking in your spirit. Heed, if your new clothes don't look like anything, it's a warning that you're in your flesh. And he's saying, if you'll take those warnings, if you'll put on your blessed clothes, if you'll dress yourselves to the nines every morning when you get out of bed and you, and you, and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm ready to go to show the world Christ. Here's what he says. 
He says, not only will you be happy, not only will you have joy, not only will your life go up and down with everybody else's moods and failings and messes, but here's something else that will happen. God will reward you. How many of you want to get rewarded by God? He's not limited to the size of your pay packet. He's not limited to your whatever's going on. He has promised if we will walk with our new clothes on, he will reward us. Knowing with all certainty that it's from the Lord, not from men, that you will receive the inheritance which is your greatest reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you actually serve. For he who does wrong will be punished for his wrongdoing, and with God there's no partiality, no special treatment based on a person's position in life. Isn't that good news? That God isn't bothered about what title you have, what title your boss has, what title anybody has in society, what title anybody carries around, or anything they put on their own business cards that they got printed for 25p at Tesco. Because anybody can call themselves anything now and set themselves up as somebody. It's amazing how many nobodies have become somebodies in their own imagination on Facebook. And God doesn't pay any attention to any of it. But he says, if you put your new clothes on, I'll reward you. Because I can see through all that gubbins, all that guff, and I'll reward you. So here's the good news. If we get up and we dress ourselves up, dress to the nines, and go, go into wherever we're going, showing Christ to the world, God will reward us and he will sort out the others. Did you get that? He promised that too. It's not your job to sort out your mean boss. It's not your job to complain, I'm not paid enough. It is God's job to sort out your mean boss and God's job to promote you. And if we walk like this, God says, you'll be rewarded and I've got my eye on those that are treating you wrong. I don't want to be that person that's treating somebody wrong because I don't want to be a person God's got his eye on because that to me is kind of scary. But that's what God's saying. Here's why he's saying it. He says, he says it because he loves his kids. He loves his kids and because of that, he's got his eye on those who are hurting his kids. And he said, I intend to sort it. Not your problem. Your problem, what you've got to do, put on the new man, don't go in there walking in in your flesh, walking in the spirit, and I'll sort it. If you won't do that, I can't. Can't sort it for you if you walk in your flesh. That's the power of what we have. The power of how we live. What you do in secret and what you do in the open, God will reward. Amen? Let's stand. Can the worship team back wherever they're 
whizzed off to. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for all the good gifts that you give us. I want to thank you for all your blessings. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are watching out for us, that you are there for us, that you've got your eye on us, but you've all, more importantly, you've got your eye on those who are hurting us and those who are messing us around. And Lord, I pray that you keep reminding me, reminding me in my spirit, you know, that word about having peace or having a check, you keep reminding me in my spirit that when I walk out in the morning throughout the day, I should put my best clothes on to the world. And because they need to see you and not my flesh. So Lord, I pray that I'll be somebody who remembers to put my best clothes on and that the world will see it because my new clothes look like something. Let them look like you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>